0: I believe that the training that my parents gave me as they trained me up in the training and admonition of the Lord, that as I got into the workplace and I've had a lot of different jobs, I've worked in grocery stores and factories as a janitor, as a brick mason, a pastor. Now, I've done a lot of different things in my life, but I've always had this attitude of working hard and realizing that I represent Christ when I'm on a job site. And I still have that same attitude obviously in the pulpit. I need to have that attitude, but that attitude is not just on Sunday morning. It goes with me throughout the week.
1: Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word.
0: All right. Good to see everyone. You can turn to your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 and then... Verses 21 through 24. I'm skipping verses 10 through 20 because it's putting on the armor of God. I figured we can just look at that next week. We're really continuing from Ephesians chapter 5 and the theme really, I believe, kind of goes back to a very key verse, verse 21 of chapter 5, which says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And last week we look at wives Submitting to their husbands, husbands loving their wives. We continue now with children obeying their parents and servants being obedient to their masters. And with the children, Paul deals with the fathers, with the servants, Paul deals with the masters. But there is this theme that has been set forth. It begins with submission, submission to one another in the fear of God. And then in God's proper order of things we kind of take it down from there to where he goes into the family he goes to the wives first to the husbands and now to the children they don't always listen there's always sometimes struggles going on so he dresses the father I believe he dresses dad as the head of the home but he warns the dad don't provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord Provoke means to anger or to enrage. It means don't push your children to the point of anger or wrath. Now, it's not that fathers are always this way, because Jesus talked about the fathers in Matthew chapter 7. When praying to our heavenly father, he used the father, earthly father as an example, and saying that when your child asks for bread, oh, you won't give him a scorpion or a snake. You know, you're going to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Heavenly Father give those things which you ask for, especially that of the Holy Spirit? And so he uses the fathers as an example of doing good to their children, giving good gifts to their children. But sometimes we can push too hard, and, and there's a warning there. You don't want to push your children away. You don't want to push them to wrath. I think about this whole children thing, and I think about the Jewish mindset that Paul was writing from because he was a Jewish man. They bar misphed their sons at the age of 13. What that meant was that the father was saying, I am no longer responsible for my son's behavior before God, but now my son is responsible to God for his own actions. So, that being said, there is this time of childhood. The bar mitzvah would be considered a man. They would marry often in their teens. Now, we live in a society where people are getting married in the, around 28, 26 for gals. It's much later than it used to be years ago. You know, we're not quite releasing our children quite as early. So we have this opportunity, I believe, early on. I believe that's what he's talking about here. Early on, let's say before the bar mitzvah, we have this opportunity. It's not that you stop uh, training up your children. It's not that you stop teaching them, admonishing them in the Lord after they turn a certain age. You keep on doing that, but you have this time when they're young to really instill in their lives the Word of God in their hearts. But we come to the teenage years, it can be very difficult times. Yep. Amen. I hear it. This came to mind when I first read this and prepping for this message. There was a time when my son was a teenager. He was driving. And uh, he came in the house with three other friends, went straight to the basement. His eyes were lit up. He was high on something. He was... I know he was drinking. I went out to his car, I opened up, I popped a back panel in his Camaro and found where he had hidden some beer and went down and with the beer, um, I don't know if I'd already dumped it out at that point or not, but kicked the friends out and me and him had a confrontation and it was getting heated and I was pushing and I was pushing hard and to be honest with you, I wanted him to lash out at me that I could justify lashing back physically. I was pushing him, for he would lash out physically at me, that I would be justified to lash back, because I was just fed up, I was pushing hard. Thankfully, Johnny had the cooler head that day, and uh, he would not lash out at me. I know some kids will against their parents. I'm grateful that that scene never went as bad as it could have gotten. Lily was crying, and it was just a mess. He ended up running away. Um, He left the house. He was gone for several days. It gave us time to cool down for both of us. But it can be very difficult times. Now my boy's a daddy. (laughs) Now he's going to be thinking about all these things that he put his parents through. But... I believe, see, Melissa was totally different. We brought them up the same, but in those early years, we instilled Jesus Christ in their their lives and into their hearts. They both accepted Christ um, at an early age in their lives. And for one, you know, backsliding and, and going wayward wasn't an option. The other one did. But it was the things that we had, let's say, before the bar mitzvah, For Johnny, it was around 12 or 13, the age is correct, where the rebellion started to come into play. And so we instilled that stuff early on to where um, it was a memory for him throughout those hard times. This kid who was so messed up so often, and he's got tats on his body, every tat he's got, even when he wasn't walking with the Lord, reflects Jesus Christ, He told me once the reason I did that is to remind me to whom I belong. Now, this is a mindset of someone who is, from my consideration, pretty twisted. He wasn't walking with the Lord, but he would have those moments where he'd get close and God would begin to draw. And eventually it clicked. Um, John Corson said at one time that your kids are like the faith that you instill in them. It's like popcorn when they get heated. Hot enough, eventually it'll start popping, and it'll it'll work. They'll realize it, and they'll figure it out. And so our task is to bring them up in the uh, admonition and in the training of the Lord. You just want your children to succeed, and especially to succeed in faith. We can train them up in in the ways of the Lord. He goes on to the servants and masters. Now we don't have slavery in our culture today. Slavery was a part of Paul's culture. It's been um, eliminated from the United States since 1865 with these words, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime whereof the party shall be duly convicted, shall exist in the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So slavery is not a part of our life. And we're going to be reading about servants and masters here So I think we can rightly apply these same truths to the workplace today. And so we just insert the word instead of slaves, employee. Instead of master, boss. And it says, Servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. So he's talking to the servants, to the slaves there, and he tells them ultimately that your master is Jesus Christ. Now you're a believer, your master is Jesus Christ, but you're subservient masters, meaning underneath Christ, those masters who are over you in the flesh, well, you still need to have this attitude of fear and trembling. I don't know if we need to take that into the workplace. I don't know if I've ever feared a boss, although there are those who do fear their bosses. But this this attitude of respect that we can have for them, in sincerity, it means to have a singleness of heart, that you're serving your workplace, but as to Christ. So we're serving our employers, but we're doing it realizing that Christ is our true boss. And so we serve in such a way that Christ is represented through our life. It's not for eye service as men pleaser. I've seen guys perk up when the boss comes around. Boss on the job site in construction I worked in for over 20 years, the boss would come back and he would ask the question for bricklayers, if it rains, you can't work in wet and foul weather, So, especially if you're outside. So the question would always be, did it rain? Like, come on, you guys aren't producing. I'm gone. You're not producing. What's going on here? But I've seen those guys uh, tweak up in the workplace just because someone's watching. Or fear and trembling. I was on a job once, and I only worked for this company for Uh, Three weeks before I found a different place, and I I did not like the place I was working for. I'm not saying you have to get stuck in a bad situation, but uh, as a father, as a parent, as a husband, as someone who is responsible for a home with bills, I'd often stay in in not the greatest situations until I could find something else. And I mean, I'm talking about having checks bounced on me and having the boss owe me some $4,000 sometimes because he hasn't been paying, and and it gets difficult, and always looking and searching and trying to fix or resolve the problem. But I was at this one company for three weeks, and I was a bricklayer, and they didn't have any work for the bricklayer, so we are helping um, clean up a project and a job, and so I was helping the laborer tear down scaffolding and plank and loading the <laughs> trucks, and I noticed after a while that this laborer never was without something in his hand. And so we'd go, we'd tear down something, we'd carry it all to the truck, we'd load the truck, and then he would walk back to where we were tearing down the equipment with a piece of equipment in his hand, always having something. so finally it's like, why are you always carrying something around in your hand? He said, because if the boss shows up, I don't want him to find me empty-handed. I said you're you're nuts. I said it's just wasted labor, you know, if I mean obviously fear and trembling was in this guy's mindset as in regard to his boss because if I have a boss that can't understand reason, it's like look, we're loading a truck. I'm going to walk away from the truck empty-handed and then get more material. In fact, I can carry more for you if I'm not carrying the same piece of equipment back and forth all the time. But We can be so twisted. And and that situation, it was a boss. It was just a weird company. I got away from it fairly quick. And I had a pretty hard day I would deem as the worst day in my life. And about 20 years later, a friend of mine was working with the laborer who worked on that job on the worst day of my life. And he was telling a friend of mine about the same job and the worst day of his life. So it wasn't just the worst day for uh, me. It was for both of us down there in that pit, uh, digging in some pretty hard clay in a church in Wilmette uh, many years ago. You work hard. I never walked away from a job. I never just walked away and quit. I always tried to resolve things if they weren't going well. Because I was a union bricklayer, I could always go to the hall and see if there was something else going on. I did my best even when I had um, foremans or employers that weren't treating me well or treating me right. I still worked. I got frustrated. I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of frustrations a lot of times. But on the other side of things, I had been running work since I was 23 years old, so I'd been on the boss side of this thing. And he talks to the masters in verse 9. He says, you masters, do the same thing as to them. We'll come back to that same things in a moment. Give up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So as a believer, being a foreman for a bunch of guys on a construction site, I still lived as a believer on a construction site. I did not pick up their language, their jokes, their attitudes. In fact, one of the bricklayers once a compliment that was uh, paid just because of my crew, because I didn't cuss and swear. I'm not saying that it didn't happen, but it didn't happen as often. And one of the guys told me that after working on my crew for several weeks or maybe a couple of months by this point, he says, His wife commented to him and said, you know what? You're not cussing as much as you used to. He took it into his home and he didn't even realize he was doing it. But because the job site was a little cleaner and I never retaliated in kind, even though I had guys cuss me out before, but I never retaliated with the same language or in kind. You're representing Christ. And you know what? They're looking for you to fail. There was a couple of guys who wagered, I told you guys this, but they wagered, one guy against me, another guy for me, that he could break me and get me to cuss. And he lost that bet. I'm so grateful that he lost that bet. But it's interesting that I had no idea. I'm just doing my job, and these guys are wagering whether they can get me to lose my temper in such a way that I'll lose the control of my language. You never know what people are thinking. So boss, in the same manner, the bosses aren't going to fear and tremble um, to their employees in the workplaces, but they are to have this sincerity, the singleness of heart, realizing that Christ is over them. And so they're to serve, not as man pleasers, but as pleasing Christ. Um, doing the will of God, doing good in their service. were to have the same attitude in the workplace. It's perfect situation if it works this way from both sides, employee, servant, master, slave, employer, however you want to word it. But I realize that we don't always work in that perfect world. In fact, this world is not perfect. So we are called to serve Christ in this world. I believe that the training that my parents gave me as they trained me up in the training and admonition of the Lord, that as I got into the workplace, and I've had a lot of different jobs, I've worked in grocery stores and factories as a janitor, as a brick mason, a pastor now. I've done a lot of different things in my life, but I've always had this attitude of working hard and realizing that I represent Christ when I'm on a job site. And I still have that same attitude Obviously, in the pulpit, I need to have that attitude. But that attitude is not just on Sunday morning. It goes with me throughout the week. So we're going to skip verses 10 through 20. and We're just going to go out to the close here. In verse 21, he says, But that you also may know my affairs and how I'm doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, and you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. Just a reminder that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. He was um, a prisoner of Rome. It was a year around 61, uh, 62 AD. He was writing this letter, and the letter of, um, uh, there were many prison epistles, but we know that Ephesians and Colossians were written at the same time because we have very similar phrasings in Colossians. In Colossians, it talks about children being obedient to their parents, um, about the master-servant relationship. It's just tweaking the words just a little bit, but the same message is going out to a different church, and Tychicus is delivering both letters to the churches. We first meet him in Acts chapter 20, when Paul went to Jerusalem for the very last time and was re- arrested while he was in Jerusalem, Tychicus was one of the brothers from Asia that went along with him. And here he is called a beloved brother, a faithful minister in the Lord. And in other portions of scripture, in Colossians, he is called again a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. And he was going to come to bring news about Paul to the church of Colossae and um, to comfort their hearts also. Titus, we learned that um, Paul was either going to send Artemis or Tychicus with the letter. He hadn't decided who, but he mentioned both men there. And um, when he wrote to Timothy, he tells Timothy in Second Timothy, uh, Paul's last letter, he said, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Whether it was this exact same time, it seems to be a different time. But he sent him there to comfort the church. So this is a faithful brother that ministered in the Lord, ministered to the Lord, and was a servant. As a disciple of Paul, he served Paul um, by doing his errands and and delivering and reading letters to the church. What a letter this would have uh, been to receive. But think about that. Their pastor was in jail when he was writing to them. I wonder how that would work in a lot of churches today. Oh, we don't have to listen to He's in jail. We don't have to listen to him. And we're just studying these, these epistles that came from an author who was imprisoned. Ultimately, we know, though, the author is the Holy Spirit, as God breathed through Paul to give us this information. He closes in verses 23 and 24 with four basic things. Listen, and I'll point out the four. Peace to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all, those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Now, there could be a fifth, but basically, he has given us peace. He's given us love twice, faith, and grace. God's peace, his love combined with our faith and God's grace upon us, that we should serve Jesus Christ in a sincerity, singleness of heart. You know, this quartet of peace, love, faith, and God's grace is a great way to ensure that we'll love our Lord Jesus Christ not only in sincerity of heart, that in this life, things will go well with us if we operate and we function, whether we're a husband, a wife, a mom, a dad, a child, an employee, an employer, when we live to represent Christ, not being a man pleaser, but wanting to please the one that gave his life for us, I believe things will go well for us. We may have hard times on this earth, but ultimately one day we get to see Jesus. And uh, you know, through the hard times. We need to look back and see how Christ has brought you to this place, how he's provided and cared for you. Until this day that we're standing, I'm standing, you're sitting here today, but also we have to have that mind of looking forward to one day, the Lord's going to come and he's going to take us home and we're going to be with him forever. So that is our hope. Until that day, until he comes and takes us home, well, we need to be good husbands and fathers we need to be good mothers and wives, children, and then on into our workplace. We need to represent Christ as believers to have God's peace, love, faith, and grace, just saturating our lives, that we would have this sincerity or this singleness of heart that other people can see Christ Jesus in you. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this epistle that you have given us. And I pray, Lord, as we close out next week, looking at the armor of God, I pray that you'd prepare us, Lord, because I know that so often we have been beaten down in this world and we need your armor. And so, Lord, if we've not done well as a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, an employee, a child, an employer, Lord, help us to learn to take up your armor that we can have this sincerity of heart
1: 2650646 Thank you so much for joining us today and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.